Well, a family had twin boys, and their only resemblance was their looks. Uh, the, in other ways, they just seemed to be opposite. If one felt too hot, the other said that it was too cold. And if one said the TV was too loud, the other claimed that the volume needed to be turned up. They were opposite in every way. One was an eternal optimist, seeing everything from the most positive possible perspective. And the other was a doom and gloom pessimist. And just to see what would happen, kind of to do an experiment, on the twins' birthday, their father loaded the pessimists' room with all sorts of brand new toys and devices and games, and then loaded the optimists' room with horse manure. And when he walked to the pessimist's room, he found the pessimist sitting in the midst of all of these new toys and gifts, crying bitterly. And his dad said, why are you crying? And he said, well, because with all these new toys, my friends are going to be jealous and I'll have to read all of these instruction manuals before I can use any of these things and I'll, I'll constantly need batteries and then these toys will eventually get broken. The dad went to the optimist's room and found him dancing with joy and digging happily in the horse manure. And his dad said, what are you doing? And his son said, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> it really does come down to your attitude and what you choose. It's your choice whether you enjoy life or endure life. We're beginning a new series today called Choose Joy. We'll spend four weeks looking at highlights of the four chapters of uh, the letter of the to the Philippian church and uh, we won't be able to cover every verse in detail but each chapter will give us some insight in how we can choose joy for our daily life. Now you might be thinking in your situation that isn't going to work. You might be thinking your life is really a mess right now. There are so many bad things happening that you don't think you could ever enjoy life. You don't think that you could ever choose joy. You feel like if you didn't have bad luck, you wouldn't have any luck at all. You think choosing joy just doesn't seem to be an option for you because of how bad everything is going, how many things are going wrong. Well, if that's you, don't tune out this series of messages yet because Paul wrote this letter at a time in his life when things weren't going particularly well at all. Going to Rome had always been on Paul's bucket list. He talked about how he wanted to go and preach there. He wrote about it. He planned for it. He prayed that it would happen. He pictured himself going to Rome and giving instruction and encouragement to the people in the church in Rome. He pictured himself preaching to crowds and helping people who were far from God cross the line of faith and become followers of Jesus in this city that influenced an entire empire. But when he finally arrived in Rome, things were not quite as he had pictured them or planned for them to be. When he got there, he was a prisoner instead of a preacher. When he got there, he was chained constantly to a Roman soldier. He was confined to a house while the church in Rome suffered division and disunity. 
And he was waiting for a trial that would determine whether he would be released or whether he would be executed. At the time that he wrote this letter, his life was worse than anything that most of us have ever or will ever experience. Yet, in this letter, he wrote over and over and over again about joy. In fact, joy is mentioned at least 16 times in the four chapters of this letter. You see, it's easy for us to feel joy when everything is going our way. It's easy for us to feel joy on the good days, on the days when you're relaxing at the beach, or on the days when you're succeeding at work. But Paul chooses joy on the hard days, on the difficult days, the days when things aren't going well. And that's what we need to learn. We need to figure out how to experience joy, how to make the choice to be joyful when life isn't going well. And this uh, letter that Paul wrote from prison helps us with that. It helps us to choose joy on hard days, on days when our finances seem just on the brink of bankruptcy, on days when the kids are just wild and refusing to listen, on the days when the doctor calls and says the test results aren't good. Philippians tells us how to choose joy when we find ourselves in prison or when we find ourselves in a hospital bed or when we find ourselves in one of life's waiting rooms. It helps us choose joy when we feel like we're trapped in a bad marriage or chained to a job that we hate or suffering consequences from other people's sin or worse yet, from our own sin. And if choosing joy isn't a problem for you right now, I mean, if your life is in a place right now where you're saying, no, choosing joy is easy, if you're in that place, you know, there really aren't any problems in your life. There's no stress, no pain, no problems in your life. If you're in that place right now, praise God for that. Enjoy it, but don't get used to it. Because that changes for all of us at different times. And the problems hit all of us. But even if you're in a place where choosing joy is easy right now, these messages will be with you, uh, be good for you. So whether things are great for you right now or really depressing, let's look at this letter of uh, Philippians and see principles that we can find there to help us choose joy. Open your Bible or your devices to Philippians chapter 1, and let's look at what Paul writes and discover three areas where we can find joy on the hard days. First of all, on hard days, I can find joy in my relationships, in my relationships. Look at verses 3 through 8. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time that you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. 
God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. So while he is sitting in prison, while he is chained to that guard, Paul finds joy in thinking about the people in his life. He says thinking about them makes him thank God for them and he prays for them with joy. He had joy because he remembered how much he loved them and uh, how much they loved him and how they had worked together to serve Jesus. Now let's be honest. We don't always think about the people in our life with joy. Sometimes when we're having a hard day, people are the reason that we're having a hard day. Sometimes people can be real jerks. Much of our hurt and stress comes from people being insensitive or critical or uh, having unfair expectations. So you got to ask yourself when you read these words from Paul, does Paul just have better friends than me? Is it just that I need better friends? You know, does he have better friends than we have? Do you think that he could think of any situations with these friends that he's writing to Memories where they created pain or stress for him. Well, when you get home, you might want to read Acts chapter 16 because it tells us about Paul's first visit to Philippi. And when you read those chapters, you'll find that Paul casts the demons out of a little girl and you think people would be happy and appreciative. But after he cast out the demons, her masters were upset with Paul. You see, they had been making money off of this demon-possessed girl as a fortune teller. And so they're upset with him, and they had Paul arrested and beaten. So not all Paul's memories of Philippi were good, but God has used him, and as a result, many people, including a jailer, have come to know Jesus, and Paul loved the people there. Verse 7 says that, he, that they had a special place in his heart. The point is, on hard days, we can find joy in our relationships. We can remember people. We can pray for them. We can find strength and encouragement from them. But to do that, we have to go against one of the reactions that seems really common for us on hard days. You see, on hard days, we have this tendency to isolate ourselves from people pull away from people, to spend time all by ourselves uh, On hard days, those are the days that we decide maybe we need to skip our growth group. Or maybe we need to skip church for the weekend and we just end up spending time alone feeling sorry for ourselves. But Paul says on hard days, we can find joy in our relationships. Secondly, he says, I can find joy by fulfilling my purpose. I can find joy by fulfilling my purpose. Here's a question. I've thought about this several times in my spiritual life. Why doesn't God zap us to heaven the minute we become a Christian? I mean, have you ever thought about it that way? I mean, it would be so much easier. We cross the line of faith. We come up out of the waters of the baptistry and immediately we disappear and we go to heaven. That's where we're going to end up anyway. And it's so much better there in heaven. There's no taxes, there's no disease, there's no uh, partisan politics, there's no calories, no country music, no Pepsi. Okay, at least I'm hoping those last couple aren't at, on my side of heaven. 
And I think zapping us to heaven would be so much better for God. I think it would be less embarrassing for him. I mean, there would be no Christians loudly proclaiming how close to Jesus they are right before they get arrested and make the news because of uh, some crime that they've committed. There'd be no more photos of preachers in $3,000 sneakers, you know. It would be less embarrassing for God. So why don't we get zapped to heaven the minute that we become Christians? I think there's only one reason. God has a purpose for us here. He has a purpose for us here. He wants us to make a difference in the lives of other people. Paul, who wrote this letter to his friends in Philippi, had discovered a purpose for his life. It was something worth living for. For him, it was spreading the message of Jesus. Paul had messed up greatly in his life. He had sinned against God in unimaginable ways, but God had shown him mercy, and God had given to him love and forgiveness, and Paul wanted to help as many people as possible find that same love, that same mercy, that same forgiveness. And here are two truths about his purpose that allowed him to find joy. First, his purpose mattered more than his troubles. His purpose mattered more than his troubles. Now, sometimes we use our troubles as excuses to delay doing something great for God. We say, I'll get involved in helping others when I get out of school, or when my kids get older, or I'll do something great for God when I pay down that debt. We think, I can't do much for God right now because of sick family members or job problems or any number of reasons. We come up with all these excuses, but Paul didn't use his problems as excuses. Look at these verses, uh, verses 12 through 14. He writes this, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. He's literally chained to guards um, all day long, and each guard is chained to him for several hours. And he didn't sit around and say, you know, when I get out of here, I'm finally going to be able to begin fulfilling my purpose and preaching the gospel. He realized that he had a captive audience right there literally chained to him so he talked to these guards about jesus every guard every day every time some of these guys must have looked forward to shift change i mean can you imagine being someone who doesn't believe in jesus and being chained to a preacher for eight to ten hours a day I mean, most of you who are strong believers wouldn't want to be chained to a preacher for eight to ten hours a day. But apparently, what Paul was doing was working. They were listening, and they were beginning to respond to the message. It seemed that many of these guards were becoming Christ followers. You see, Paul had used his troubles as an opportunity, not an excuse. He had used them as an opportunity. How can you turn your troubles into an opportunity? How can you use that to make a difference for Jesus? I mean, maybe the problem itself 
is a chance for you to live like Jesus, to demonstrate his grace and his love in a stressful world. When you understand God's purpose for you, it will matter more than your trouble. Secondly, his purpose mattered more than his pride. His purpose mattered more than his pride. Look at verses 15 through 18. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Paul's purpose is preaching the message of Jesus. And he says that as a result of him being imprisoned, more people have stepped up. More people have started preaching. And that had to be really hard for Paul. I mean, he had all these plans. He'd dreamed for years of coming to Rome and making a difference and preaching. And now he's sitting in prison hearing about other people doing it. He might have struggled with jealousy. It might have hurt his pride. And he has a real reason to struggle because some actually were preaching to try to make him jealous. Some actually were preaching to make his imprisonment harder and more painful for him. He says they were purposely trying to hurt him by doing it. Now, his comment here is interesting. He says some are preaching from wrong motives, but at least the message is being preached. It's an interesting concept. He says, the message being preached matters more than whether the motives of the person preaching are pure or not. He says, the message being preached is more important than whether the motives of the preacher are right or wrong. And that's important for us to hear. We need to focus on Jesus and his truth, not on the people who deliver his truth. We need to focus on Jesus, not the people preaching. People will disappoint you. People will disappoint you. Some spiritual leaders will fall in small ways and some will fall in big ways. Some will fall in ways that make the evening news, sexual sins or financial sins or other sins. Most won't fall that way. They'll just make the mistake of bad judgment or they'll hurt your feelings. But people will disappoint you. If I haven't disappointed you yet, I probably will because people will disappoint you. The message is what's important. The message matters more than the motives or the methods of the person who brings it. But if you want to make your life count, you have to discover something worth living for. What is your purpose? What is the cause uh, of your life that God is causing you to be involved in? Maybe it's impact kids, helping our uh, children experience the love of Jesus and to choose Jesus as their savior. Maybe it's training to be a part of our tech team to help everyone in this room experience Jesus without distraction. Maybe God is placing on your heart to start a ministry for our community or for our church that we haven't even thought of here at Impact yet. 
It could be as simple as volunteering one afternoon a week to repair or clean or paint things around this building, or it could be as scary as retiring from your current career to become a missionary in a foreign land somewhere. You see, your cause or your purpose could be little or it could be big, but when you find it, it will matter more than your problems and your troubles. It'll matter more than your pride, and you will find more joy than you ever imagined by fulfilling your purpose because it will be something worth living for. It'll be something worth living for. Let's look at one more. On the hard days, I can find joy by anticipating the outcome, by anticipating anticipating the outcome. In November of 2006, a man named James Kim found something in his life worth dying for. You might remember the story from the news. I remember hearing it when it was going on. Mr. Kim and his family, while they were uh, visiting folks for Thanksgiving, on the way home, they took a wrong turn while driving through Oregon And the car got trapped in heavy snow on a seldom used logging road. And for seven days, they attempted to survive and they attempted to signal for help. And when it became clear after seven days that his family was in danger of freezing to death, Mr. Kim left the safety of the car to go search for help. The weather was vicious. The terrain was rugged. He must have known that his odds of survival weren't good. Two days after he left the car, um, his family was rescued, but Mr. Kim died in the wilderness while trying to search for help for his family. None of us know what was going through Mr. Kim's mind as he searched for help or while he was dying, but we do know one thing. We know that James Kim decided that his family was worth the risk, that his family was worth dying for. Paul also had found something worth dying for. Look at verses 19 through 25. He says, For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it would be better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so that I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. The key part of this passage are his words, I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. Living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. Now, sometimes when we teach this passage, we treat it like Paul is having this debate with himself, that he's trying to decide which he wants to do. Does he want to live or does he want to die? As if he had a choice in the matter. I think he's really trying to guess what God's going to do in this situation. 
You see, he knows that if he lives, he will keep doing what he's been doing for God. He will keep speaking to people. He will keep preaching. He will keep trying to influence them. But if he dies, it will be because the Romans have executed him. And if they kill him, it, will, it would be because he was preaching to people and helping people find faith in Jesus. So what he's saying is living means living for Christ and dying is even better. When he says that, he is anticipating the outcome. He's saying it's going to be a good outcome no matter what happens. And he has decided that his purpose is both worth living for and worth dying for. It's worth living for and worth dying for. You might write this somewhere in your notes. A purpose that is really worth living for is usually also worth dying for. A purpose that's worth living for is usually also worth dying for. Now, what did Paul think was worth dying for? He gives us some clues. Look back at verse 12 that we read earlier. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Spreading the good news, spreading the message about Jesus, helping people hear about Jesus was worth dying for, in his opinion. He also thinks, by the way, that it is a cause that the rest of us should care about also. Look at what he says in verse 27. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together as with one spirit, with one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Fighting together for the faith, spreading the good news, was a purpose that we need to embrace as a church, and we have. And it's also a purpose that each of us as individuals need to embrace. The good news that he's talking about is the news that all of us can be forgiven of our sins. Every one of us can find forgiveness from our sins and find heaven through Jesus. And we can never forget that the good news wouldn't be such good news if the bad news wasn't so bad. If the bad news wasn't so bad. You see, the bad news is without Jesus, people enter a Christless eternity where they will have to pay their own price for their own sin. The suffering of this world is nothing compared to the non-stop suffering that a person who dies without Christ will endure for an eternity. I don't want anyone that I meet to enter that Christless eternity. I don't want them to enter eternal suffering. And that's why I've given my life to telling the good news about Jesus. For me, it's something worth living for. And if necessary, it's something worth dying for. And just like Paul we can know if we've trusted Jesus that no matter what happens when we're trusting in Jesus, the outcome will be good, whether we live or whether we die. So as we begin this series on choosing joy, we can discover through Paul's words and through his examples that on hard days we can find joy in our relationships and the people that God has placed around us. We can find joy in fulfilling our purpose, that cause that God has put in our life for us to fulfill for him. And we can find joy by anticipating the outcome that knowing no matter what, if we trust Jesus, uh, everything's going to work out okay, that the outcome's going to be positive. If not here, 
in heaven when we get there. But let me end by pointing out a real key to choosing joy. Did you notice that Paul kept his eyes on Jesus in all of this? He kept his eyes on Jesus instead of on his negative circumstances. Instead of saying, Jesus must not love me because he let me be locked up here in prison. Jesus must not love me because I'm chained to these guards all the time. Instead of saying that, he said, wait a minute. Jesus has me here in prison uh, chained to all of these guards because they need to hear about Jesus. All of these guards who wouldn't be listening otherwise are going to be listening. He had dreamed of preaching to crowds. He had dreamed of influencing thousands of people. Instead, he preached to guards one person at a time. And while he was locked up in that prison, he began to write some letters to churches like this letter to the church at Philippi. And as a result, that time in prison influenced millions of people, including us today. As we study these words that he wrote when his circumstances weren't that great on some hard days in his life. And that was possible because he kept his eyes on Jesus. Here's a key choice if you want to choose joy. The choice is yours. You can view Jesus through your circumstances or you can view your circumstances through Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. Too many people today seem to determine what they think about Jesus based on their circumstances. They look at their circumstances and they let that determine what they're going to believe about Jesus or think about Jesus. They use their problems and their pain as a lens to determine what they're going to believe about Jesus. But that's backwards. That's the opposite of what Paul did here. When we know who Jesus is, when we know that he's always with us, that he will never abandon us, that he loves us, that he wants what's best for us, that he knows the future and that he's going to keep all of his promises, with that as a foundation, with who Jesus is as a lens, we can look at our circumstances through the eyes of Jesus. We can view our circumstances through him. Now, it won't mean that your circumstances will go away. It won't mean that your circumstances won't hurt. But you can see that Jesus is with you during the hurt. And maybe, just maybe, he is using that hurt to help you grow or to help others hear his good news. And when you use Jesus as the lens, just like Paul, you can find joy even on the hardest days, even in the midst of the worst circumstances. I pray today that you will begin to view your circumstances through Jesus and that as a result, you'll choose joy. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, um, there are some people in this room right now that are really struggling Some people who are having trouble finding joy because of life circumstances around them, because of pain, because of uh, all sorts of sadness. And so, Father, right now, would you help them to see you? Would you help them, Father, to find joy, to choose joy by choosing to uh, focus on Jesus and to trust in Jesus? Father, there are some here who um, just need to take the step of uh, talking to somebody at our Next Steps canopy or talking to one of us so that we can help them know for sure that when they die that 
their outcome will be secure in heaven with you. But Father, right now, we just pray that instead of uh, us always expecting you to make our situation happy, that you will help us, Father, to choose joy no matter what situation. And Father, we're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful, Father, that because of him, we can have love, we can have forgiveness, we can have hope for eternal life in a place with no pain, a place with no problems, a place with no disease, with no heartache, with no conflict, no anger. And so, Father, right now, would you just help us as we seek to fulfill the purpose you've given to us so that we can spread your good news to others. And Father, I thank you so much for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.